to, book, to the book of Ezekiel. Um, and let's go to the 12th chapter uh, in this book. Now, the book of Ezekiel, again, gives us an up-close look at the life and the ministry of the prophet Ezekiel. We go to Ezekiel 12, verse number 21. Uh, and, and remember, I shared with you when we started this series out, we said that God is faithful. The central theme of this book is God is faithful even when his own people are not faithful. I think that bears repeating. God is faithful even when his own people are not faithful. Are you listening to me? And following a time of chastisement, he brings ultimate restoration and blessing just like he promised. Because whom the Lord loveth, he does what he chastens. Amen. He disciplines. So as Ezekiel writes this book, the purpose was to announce God's judgment on Israel and other nations and to foretell of the eventual salvation of God's people. Uh, you Bible readers remember we said that when Ezekiel writes this, he's writing this to a, a group of Jews who were, who were in exile in Babylonian captivity. And Ezekiel is called uh, to be a prophet to the nation. And God told him, they said, now when, you, when I call you to go speak to the people, they're hard-headed, they're stubborn, and they're not going to listen to a thing that you say. So therefore, I'm going to make your head hard so that you won't get discouraged while you're talking to people who are hard-headed. Amen. And as I told you before, it's easy to get discouraged when you talk to stubborn, hard-headed people who won't listen. But Ezekiel had a mandate. God told him, he said, listen, even though they're not going to accept what you say, but when you leave and when you get through preaching, they're going to know that there's been a prophet among them. Amen. And so prophets were not necessarily the most popular people because they told people about their issues and they, they spoke a message from God. And so it, it was written specifically to the Jews in captivity in Babylon and really for God's people everywhere. So so when we look at this book and we look at this going to this 12th chapter, think about the structure of the book, because what we're doing is we're doing a survey of the book. We're not going verse by verse, but we're taking taking different pieces of this book to give some things to us to help us not be in the same predicament that God's people were, the nation of Israel were when they were in exile because of their 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 reluctance or their not inability, but their their stubbornness. Uh, to not repent of the sins that they that caused him to be in exile. Amen. And so beginning with his call as a prophet and, and, and his commissioning as a watchman for Israel, Ezekiel immediately began to preach and demonstrate God's truth as he predicted the upcoming capture and the destruction of that capital city of Jerusalem. Uh, we, we see that in the first part of this book, and then he goes on to the next section in chapters, the, the last half of the book. He, he spoke about the surrounding nations and talked about God's judgment coming upon them. But the book of Ezekiel concludes on a positive note. It concludes with a message of hope, and because as Ezekiel proclaimed the faithfulness of God, and he foretold about the blessings, the future blessings of God's people that was coming when they turned back unto God. The beauty of God is, is that I told y'all this before, and, I, and, and guys, when I finally got this, when I finally understood that God loves us so much that he'll do whatever it takes to bring us into his presence. Think about that for a second. God loves us so much that he'll do whatever it takes to bring us into his presence, to get us back into proper fellowship with him because he loves us. How many of y'all that way about your own children? I mean, your children, how many of y'all children make you mad sometimes? 
can I get that? I mean, they, they can be some, I mean, even the sweet little old two-year-olds and the one-and-a-half-year-olds can, can start. You, you, you ever saw a little baby go, no. You ever, you ever saw a little baby pull a hand back and want to hit their own parents? Have y'all ever saw that? Some of y'all said, Pastor, I ain't saw that because I tried that when I was two. My mama slapped me from here to Kingdom Come, and I ain't seen that no more. Even our little ones and even our teenagers can, can, can cause us some great havoc. And even our young adults who are now trying to find their own way can cause us some great heartache and pain because they will not listen sometimes. Am I right about it? Some of the stuff that they're going through, you've already been through three or four times. But you can't tell them, can you? Because sometimes you got to let them see it for themselves. Sometimes you, I know you tried to, to, to counsel. I know you tried to give instruction. But she got, sometimes, you know, JoJo got to just break her heart before she realized he is no good. Because you know no good because you've been through three or four no goods. Anybody, anybody, don't raise your hand. Anybody been through three or four no goods? Yeah, yeah, three or four of them. And, and every time, the, the third one you thought that was it, but then he happened to be no good or she was no good. But see, you, you, you understand things, but then when you try to share with your children, head hard, everybody say head hard. I, there was an old saying that a hard head makes a what? Yeah, I think that's true. Glory to God. So, so, so again, Ezekiel begins to write here. Go to this 12th chapter. And let's look at verse number 21. Ezekiel 12, verse number 21. Let's move on down to it because i got a lot of ground to cover. And it says, again, a message came to me from the Lord. Now, again, stop right here. Remember I told you Ezekiel had a very unique style of communicating the message of God. Ezekiel used a lot of illustrations, used a lot of dramatic object lessons uh, to convey God's message to his people. And again, I think that's, that's, that's critical for us to, to understand that. But it's also, I think it can be something that can help us as we seek to reach a generation that communicates Leroy differently than you and I do. To reach a generation that's, that's, that's become uh, somewhat uh, null and, and, and void and, 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 and not relational because of the advent of social media. Uh, social media can be a great tool uh, to do some great things, but it also can be a tool that's used by the enemy to distract us from what is really real and what's important. There are people who, who don't really know how to communicate, don't have real friends, but they got fake friends through Facebook. There, there are people who, who don't know how to hold a conversation, don't know how to pick up the phone and call you, but rather would text you, and then they text you and they can't write well enough to even to, to communicate the message, to convey it in the way that it should be conveyed, and, and then now it sends the wrong signal. Now you mad, and they didn't mean what they really wrote, but they, didn't, they couldn't write what they really... Can I get one witness up in here? And so as a result, we have a generation now that doesn't know how to communicate effectively, and, and so we have to use different techniques to try to reach those people. So, so, so Ezekiel was way ahead of his time, guys. Ezekiel would, would, would do stuff like, I told you, uh, one of his illustrations was he, he built a replica city of Jerusalem, uh, just like a, a, you know, a, a, he built a replica city, then destroyed it to illustrate that Jerusalem destruction was going to come. 
And then one of the most dramatic things that he did was for, for 390 days, Ezekiel laid on his side, tied up, eating food that was cooked over an open fire, over mess, over dung, over number two stuff. He ate food that was cooked over poop in order to illustrate the, what, what, how, how, how the sins of God's people was affecting, amen, uh, that taste in God's mouth toward them. They were, they were, he was illustrating that, that you're going to have a hard time, amen, when God's judgment comes if you do not repent. So look at this text. He says, again, a message came from me, from the Lord. So Ezekiel had, had this unique way of communicating. I think that there are some times that we got to adjust our way of communicating with this generation. We got we to gotta, we gotta reach our young people a little bit differently. Same message, but different method. Everybody say, same mes- message. Say, so don't change the message, but you have to change the method. Okay? Because some of y'all grew up in, in an area where, where mama said, if I say it, you better not do it. And that's all it took, wasn't it? All it took was, it, all it took was one look from mama and daddy. Huh? But now you look at your children and look at you. Am I, are y'all feeling me? And so, so uh, you know, God loves us. And, and so he used this man here. To, to, he loves us and he loves his people, Israel. So he used Ezekiel with this unique way of communicating. He did some other things that, that if you go through and read the book, you, you, you'll just say, man, Ezekiel was, he, he had a unique way of communicating with, to get the message of God out. But the text says, again, a message came to me from the Lord. Verse number 22. Son of man, you've heard that proverb they quote in Israel. Time passes and prophecies come to nothing. All right? You've heard that, right? So verse 23, let's read. It says, tell the people, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will put an end to this proverb and you will soon stop quoting it. Now give them this new proverb to replace the old one. The time huh, has come for every prophecy, what? To be fulfilled. Verse number, look, look at the next verse. It's what? Uh, there will be no more false visions and flattering predictions in Israel. Let's read. For what? For I am the Lord. If I say it, repeat it one more time. If I say it, it will happen. There will be no more delays. You rebels of Israel, I will fulfill my threat of destruction in your own lifetime. I the sovereign Lord have what? I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Now again, let's let's go back up here to, if you will, to that twenty-first verse, because this was, listen to what he tells them. Because they were continually to quote this proverb, and we're going to see here that I think when we go to the book of Second Peter, we're going to see a similar uh, mindset that's among Christianism and among the world today. People say, well, you've been talking about Jesus coming ever since you've been passing this church. When he coming? He ain't came yet. You talking about, uh, yo, Jesus, Jesus on his way back. He ain't here yet. So I'm going to keep doing my thing. Watch this, son of man, you've heard that proverb. They quote in Israel, time passes and prophecies come to nothing. 23 again, says this. 
Tell the people, this is what the Lord, Sovereign Lord says, I will put an end to this proverb and you will soon stop quoting it. Now give them this new proverb to place the old one. The time has come for every prophecy to be fulfilled. 24, let's go. It says, there will be no more false visions and flattering predictions in Israel. 25, let's go. For I am the Lord, if I say it, it will happen. There'll be no more delays, you rebels of Israel. I will fulfill my threat of destruction in your own lifetime. Now, what he was doing was they're in exile and he's preaching to them and, and the destruction of Israel, Jerusalem was about to occur, but they didn't believe it. They're saying prophecies have been spoken before, but ain't nothing happened. It's kind of like this. You know, sometimes I, in God's attempt to give us a chance to repent, in God's attempt to give us a chance to get our lives in order, to get our, 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 our lives headed in the right direction, he will give us chance after chance after chance. In, our, in God's, in God's uh, willingness to not want to have to totally come at us real hard, he gives us a chance after chance after chance to repent of the sin that we're in. But what do we do? We get comfortable in the sin thinking that we are right with God because he hadn't, he hadn't struck us down yet. So you keep on fraternizing with your side chick. I said, can I repeat that again, Brittany? Is it okay if I said? We keep on, you keep on fraternizing with your side chick and you married. You keep on slipping and sliding, dipping and diving, or whatever you want to call it, with that guy who's not your husband. Because y'all do know it goes both ways, huh? Hello? For some reason, in my spirit, I sense a, 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 a somewhat of a, a, a coolness in this place, and I sense that somebody's got a side dude and a side chick, and you passing it off as just friendship when it's more than friendship. And just in this moment, God is saying, I've been giving you grace. I've been showing you mercy, hoping that you will get out of what you're into. But you've become hardened in what you're into, thinking that you got one more chance. You can go back just one more time. And you're just going to go over there one more time. And that's going to be the last time. But it's been a year since you said it was going to be the last time. And what God is saying is that I love you enough because my grace and mercy and me allowing you to turn away from it hadn't, hadn't happened. So what I'm going to have to do to get you out of it, because I love you enough, I don't want you to stay in it. But the only way you're going to get out of it is if it gets exposed. Because Pastor Adams told you two years ago about that side chick, but you stayed with her. And then, and so since you didn't release it, I'm going to have to pull it off. I'm going to pull the cover back. Your stuff going to get discovered. Your spouse going to know about it. And it's going to be trouble in the house. 
because I love you too much to leave you in your mess. Okay. Thank you, Holy Ghost, for that prophetic word. So somebody who, who's right here right now, and you, you keep looking straight ahead, but you need to check yourself right now. Because I don't know how, why that came in my spirit the way it came in it, but somebody knows who I'm talking to. Oh, we just friends. We just meet. See, help me, Holy Ghost. See, when you, listen, when you are trying to find a way to run into somebody, you just make up stuff to run into them. When you try to find a way to get along with them. Somebody's on the verge to going where somebody else has already been because you're trying to figure out a way to have a reason to go talk to this person. Everybody say, speak, Lord. So I just want to just kind of, I didn't mean to get sidetracked. Let me get, thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you. But that was a word of warning for somebody in the house. Can I get a witness? All right, all right. So, so, so God says, I've spoken. He says, the sovereign Lord have spoken. God says, no longer will I delay, but my prophecy is going to be fulfilled. So, so this, this message three in this series of it's time to live again is, 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 is we, we must take responsibility. Take responsibility. Everybody say take responsibility. Now, the first thing we look at here as we talk about taking responsibility some things that we need to consider is we don't have as long as we think to repent. Listen to that. Can we read, read that out loud on no purpose? Let's go. It says, some of y'all that say, what? We don't have as long as we think to repent. Go to 2 Peter 3 with him right quick. 2 Peter 3, verse number 3 and 4. We don't have as long as we think to repent. Mm. Mm. Y'all, that's in my spirit. And I, I, I don't make stuff up. When God drops something in my spirit, I know it's the Holy Ghost. And, and I can sense it. And so that, that particular, and, and, and to somebody else, it's something else. Because every sin ain't adultery, every sin ain't fornication. There's some other stuff that's going on, on the inside of us that if we're going to live again, if we're going to be vibrant in our Christian life, if we're going to have that abundant life that Jesus talked about in John 10 and 10, we're going to have to bring back to life the God's word in that era where we've allowed his word to die. Remember the dry bone scenario? The dry bone scenario uh, talked about the dry bone. Can they live? I, I'm, 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 I'm going to say like Ezekiel, they can live. You know, Lord, they can live again. If you and I will repent from our sin. Okay? Everybody with me? Now watch this. Watch this. We don't have as long as we think to repent. That's the oldest trick in the book that the devil gives us. You got a little more time. Just, you, just, you, just hang in there. You know, I know, I know Pastor's been preaching about this. He's been preaching about not doing this, not doing that. And, you know, but, you know, you and God, God understands you. You, know, you, you repent it. You repent it. You, you, you repent it. Okay? We're going to talk about true repentance and false repentance in just a second. Because some, sometimes we think we repented, we really haven't re repented. We just in self-deception. We'll see the difference. Look, it says, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth 
and following their own desires. That's what the text says. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was created. Look at the next verse. Let's read it. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command and he brought the earth out of out of out from the water and surrounded with water. Next verse says what? Uh, then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. Verse number seven. Hey, everybody know he, it, 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 it was destroyed by water the first time, but it won't be water next time, will it? What's, what's the sign of that covenant? The rainbow. God put a rainbow in this guy. And it looks like the sun. Oh, y'all don't know anything about that. Okay. All right. The rainbow is the covenant sign from God that he will not destroy the world by water any longer, but it'll be by fire next time. It says, about the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. There it is. They'll be kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. Verse 8, just for good measure, it says what? But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. Here it is. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day, one day. So in other words, what he says is, see, we, we are bound by time as human beings. And so as human beings, we think it's been a long time since Jesus ascended back up into heaven. Well, if you were just to apply this, I mean, if you were to apply this literally, Jesus has been only gone two days, two and a half days. Back. If you apply this literally, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends, a day is like a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years is as one day. Is that right? So, so don't, get, don't get messed up into thinking that I got time. Or don't get messed up into thinking that it's been a long time since Jesus ascended back in heaven and you keep saying he's coming back again and it's been a long time. Well, if one day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day, he's been gone a little over two days. So it ain't been a long time because God ain't bound by time. We are. And we, we tend to think that because we got more time that, that we can keep doing what we're doing. And we end up messing ourselves up. Even guys from, a, from a, a health standpoint, sometimes we'll think, well, I got plenty of time to correct that habit that the doctor told me I need to stop doing. Doctor told you, stop eating certain things. Doctor told you to get off the nicotine cigarettes. Stop chewing the tobacco, whatever. <clears throat> it's not good for you. Um, it's destroying your body. And you say, you say something like this. Well, everybody got to die of something. Well, that's true, but it ain't got to be next week. It don't have to be as painful as some pain comes when stuff that you could, there's some stuff we could prevent. Just, 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 just as a, as a, as a, as, as, as a note just to us from a cultural standpoint, do you not realize that, that when you look at health statistics and trends, and, and you, you, you in the medical field help me out this, it, it's, uh, we have a high percentage of people uh, of our ethnic origin who have diabetes. Is that correct? Do you not realize that, that when, whenever uh, you're, it's, it's diagnosed that you are maybe are diabetic on the verge of being diabetic, 
that, that you could change that by doing what? Changing your diet. Can I get a witness up in here? Now, Sister, Sister, Sister Thomas, you, you, you direct the dialysis clinic, and, I, and, and, uh, and you see a lot of different patients come in there. Uh, and, and, and probably a good percentage, if I'm a bad man, uh, of African-American descent. Am I right about it? Okay. So, so if, if we could change those health outcomes by changing what we eat, and in turn help our families not be put in the position to where uh, they're dealing with something that could have been preventable. I'm not talking about something that maybe it was, it was, it was hereditary or something. I'm, I'm, but I'm talking about you could have changed it had you changed your diet. I know this don't sound like Bible preaching right now, but it's good for what ails us. And so, so we, we have to learn how to, you know, you know, not wait and say, well, I will do that next time. It's Christmas coming up. But I'm going to start that, you know, eating right in the. F- I-, I told you, my, my mother-in-law, my sweet mother-in-law, look at Sister Margaret Kirk, 86 years old, looking just as, this is, this is good and fine as any 86-year-old can look. She was, a, she, was, she was a diabetic, having taken insulin shots every day. And then when she started moderating the eating and doing some other things, and uh, now she went there and the doctor took her off of insulin altogether. I mean, altogether. You know, no, you, you, you know, we should buy orange juice because we, we bought orange juice so that whenever her sugar dropped, uh, we want to make sure we had enough orange juice so we have to... We have to uh, you know, give us some orange juice to try to get that sugar up because you can, if, if, you, if you stay low too long, you can go into a, a diabetic coma. And there have been times when, when we, we, had to, we, we, we would come in and she was sweating and, and had basically passed out. But you know what now? We, we bought a bunch of orange juice and that orange juice just stays in the house now. You know why? Because she's not having those issues any longer because she made a course correction. Thank you, Holy Ghost. God says that even in our spiritual life, there are some things that we're suffering with. There are some things that we're bound by. There are some things that are dead in our life that could be corrected if we just start doing what the book told us to do. Everybody says it's time to repent. Now watch watch this. Let me get back. We don't have as long as we think to repent. You know, uh, so, so, Pastor, what are the requirements of repentance? Well, repentance, which leads to restoration, is the goal of every legitimate confrontation that we have in our life. When we confront issues, when we, when we confront situations, when we even confront people in our lives. Repentance, which leads to restoration, is the goal of every confrontation that we have. So, there are some, how many of y'all will admit there's some things in your own individual life, like I have in my life, that I need to confront? Confrontation is not all ways about confronting a person a lot of times it's about confronting ourselves and and where we are and what what's going on in our own lives amen and so uh you know the, you know many times as believers if we are not careful we'll look for you know more convenient time next year 
next month in which to, to repent of past wrongs and uh, that we've engaged in to, to stop doing some things that we know that are detrimental to our health and to our spiritual well-being. And we'll even deny our guilt rather than dealing with it. We'll, we'll even rationalize it away. Oh, it's not that bad. Oh, I, you know, I, uh, everybody say you, you, you don't know how to talk to people and you're hollering and yell. Well, it ain't that bad. It's just the way I am. Well, if everybody is telling you that, knucklehead, it's probably true. It is true. If, you, if I get five people in the room and five people in the room tell me, you don't know how to talk to people, you don't know how to talk to people. So quit saying, that's just the way I am. If that's the way you are, change it and start being like Jesus. Don't ever settle for being the way you are if the way you are is not God-honoring. If the way you are is not giving you an opportunity to effectively minister to people. Because whether we know it or not, our personalities and the way we treat and the way we handle stuff can cause us to ruin our testimony. And nobody wants to hear what you have to say. All throughout scripture, there's a call to deal with our wrong. Jeremiah 59, God says, I'm paraphrasing, if you repent, I'll restore you. Ezekiel 19 and 32, he says, repent and live. So, so, so in your outline, we, we, I just put the bullet point there, false repentance versus true repentance. False repentance is when you say that you ain't going to do it no more, but you go back and do it again. How many of y'all, when y'all in college, you got drunk, and then you said, I ain't going to get drunk no more? Don't raise your hand. I just, I just, I just need, to, I need, need some of our young people to hear that, that some of your older people ain't, aren't worth, you haven't always been what you are now. How many of you did some stuff over the weekend and you said that I'm not going to do that anymore, but you find yourself doing it over and over again? You had that false repentance. You said it, it when, when you were feeling bad and when you had messed up royally and when your girlfriend was mad at you, when your boyfriend was saying he's he going to leave you, 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 were, you were repenting for that moment. But then again, you did the same thing over and over and over again. Scripture says this. True repentance is this. It says, True repentance is godly sorrow. Godly sorrow, it says, brings repentance that leads to salvation and leads no regret. See, false repentance is when, when I say I'm sorry that, that I repent and I'm turned away from that, but we go back and do the same thing. That's how you can tell it's false. True repentance is when you turn away from it and you go in a different direction. And so uh, sorrow that's fake won't change a person's life. Can I say it again? Sorrow that's fake won't change your life. You keep doing the same thing. It's focused more on the consequences than on the act itself. That, that, that fake sorrow. Everybody say fake sorrow. Godly sorrow, on the other hand, begins in the innermost part of our hearts and it causes us to mourn the wrong itself and not just the consequences. Most people are sorry they got caught. That's why they do it again. But when you become godly sorrowful, when you, when you become uh, uh, sorry, when it, when it, mourn, when it, 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 it basically uh, uh, just mourns you or, 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 or you, you're in a position where you are sorry that you hurt the heart of God, then that's when you, you, you come to the fact that, hey, listen, what I did broke the heart of God and that, that crushes me. True repentance 
requires a change. In true repentance, you have to recognize that I broke the heart of God. That God, I broke God's heart by doing what I did. And it's not so much the consequence that you, you know, you're sorry about, but you're sorry about the fact that you broke the heart of God. So true repentance requires that, that, that wrongs have to be corrected and relationships have to be restored. True repentance, amen? True repentance, amen, will bring you to a point to where you recognize that, that, that ultimately God has been offended by your behavior and your attitude. We realize that God has been offended by our behavior and our attitude, and it, it hurts our heart that we hurt the heart of God, then that's when we will turn from that thing that we find ourselves engulfed in. Because we need to live again, y'all. And sometimes we are dead when it comes to spiritual things because we have not actually confronted the issue truthfully. We have not confronted the situation truthfully. We have not confronted the person truthfully and honestly. Well, look at your outline. Look, 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 look at your outline. Because when it comes to confronting issues, situations, and people, there's some things that we have to make sure that we put in place so that we can, we can uh, be effective in, 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 in having true repentance. Well, even before you get to this point, before you confront anything, you need to examine yourself first. Everybody say, examine myself. All right? So if, if, if I'm going to operate in true repentance, because that's what God was trying to get his people to do in exile in Babylon, is to see themselves. If you don't see yourself first, if you don't examine yourself first, and before you go pointing the finger at somebody else, because we're good at that, right? It's your fault. You're the reason why we're in this position. Well, what about your part in this thing? We always point at others, and, and when we get into discussions or we confront an issue with the person who we're in covenant relationship with or who we're working with, we always point at the other person first. But I want to I challenge you to, first of all, examine yourself. Look at yourself and say, was my, was my motive right? Was my heart in the right place? Did I truly try to do what I know what God's word told me to do? Or did I, did I uh, escalate the situation by raising my voice? How many of y'all have ever been offended by the way someone says something to you and, 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 and somewhere deep down inside you said, uh-uh, I am not the one. Anybody? And instead of, I know if you're married, you've, 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 you've done this. If you've been married past four months, you've done this. Huh? Now think about this for a second. The one who you love, the one who you say, who you, who you said, I'm not sure if you're still saying it now, who you said you're going to love, honor, and cherish for better or worse, for sickness and health and all that, you know, to death do your part. Death ain't came, but you're trying to part. <laughs> now, I understand stuff happens. I understand that sin can creep in and cause some things. I'm, I, again, if, if you've been divorced, I'm not picking at you. Because sin happens, and we have divorce in the world because of what? Sin. But what I'm trying to illustrate to you is that a lot of times we, we, will, we will point at the other person and never really examine ourselves. And so when that person says something to us, immediately we go into that mode, I'm not the one. And the person who, who you love, the person who you 
came out of the aisle and entered into covenant relationship with is now saying something to you. And now you, because, because you're not examining yourself first, you will immediately snap back. I didn't see the hands of everybody who snapped back before. Okay, let's see your hand. Let's see your hand. Let's be honest. See, all of us in here probably have had situations where we didn't follow the word of God. We didn't follow God's advice. Proverbs 15 and 1 says, a soft answer does what? Turns away wrath, but grievous words. So, so if somebody comes at you hard, give me an example of a grievous word. Somebody help me. Oh, y'all, okay, y'all can't say it. Y'all can't say it. What's a grievous word? If somebody comes at you yelling and hollering, you all, you make me sick. You, 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 you blank, 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 blank. And I, I wish I had never married you, blank, 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 blank. And I, I'm going back to my mama's house, blah, 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 blah. So, 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 what, what's a grievous word? What's, <laughs> okay, I wish I hadn't married you too. Everybody say grievous. Yeah, this is them, this is them. Thank you, Katie. I appreciate that, brother. Nobody else will step up and say anything. But we got to examine ourselves. Now, so, so, so if we're going to confront in order to have repentance, which will lead to restoration, some things we got to consider when we're dealing with issues. Watch these right quick. I'm going to just give them to you real quick and we're going to move on, okay? Uh, because ultimately, godly sorrow brings remorse because it recognizes that ultimately God has been offended by our behavior and our attitudes. So, so, principle number one for effective confrontation, first thing is, is if you're in a relationship with somebody, somebody, number one, sometimes you need to overlook minor issues. In every relationship, you're going to experience several things that may irritate you. Okay? And most of these are minor issues which, which, which should be overlooked. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about, you know, let it build up to become a big issue, but I'm talking about minor stuff like, I'll share this with you. Marrera's not here right now. She may be in the back. I don't know if she made it yet. But Marrera used to have a problem with the way I folded the tiles and put them in the, in the, in the pantry. Okay? Now, when I said she had an issue with it, Monica, she had an issue with it. It would, you know, in other words, when you fold a tile, if the tile has that line on it or whatever, either you fold it where the smooth side is showing or the side with the line on it, Kiara, Okay? So I just want to talk to you, baby, because, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a few days, you, you're going to get married. I want you to do it, you and uh, Trey to do this the right way, okay? So you got to handle it right way. I don't want you in there fussing because the towel is turned the right way. Okay, all right, all right, thank, thank you, baby. All right, I know you since you were born, okay? So, all right. but, but she had a problem with that, and it would, it, would, it would irritate her that me, Junior, and Sandra would come in there and get towels out of the pantry, Vaughn, and or when we put them back in there from coming out of the, the dryer, we wouldn't fold them a certain way and have them all turned the same way. Now, in the broad scope of things, guys, that shouldn't be a deal breaker. But it's an irritant. And so finally, this has been about, I, I promise it's been about at least 10 years ago. 10 years ago, all of a sudden, she says, that ain't a battle worth fighting. I've tried for 23 years, and, and you still not, you know, fold them exactly the way I want them folded. So that's not a deal breaker. It's in the cabinet anyhow. Nobody from outside is coming to see it. 
Come on, I think about it. It's in our master bathroom, so nobody's going to see how it folded in there except the ones who are getting it out. So she said, I, I'm not going to die on that hill. You can turn the tiles any way you want to turn them. And guess what? We got peace when it comes to the bathroom tiles. Because that's, that's, that's in the broad scope of things, God, that's a minor issue. I know y'all said, when you preach, you're telling about her stuff. What about your stuff, Pastor? I got the mic. Now, I'm sure that she will, she, will, she will gladly tell you there are some things that I do that probably irritate. Well, that was one of the things that irritated her. But, you know, there, there are some things that, that I had to get over to uh, that was not important, that I was grinding on and making a big issue out of it when it really wasn't a big issue. Okay? So all of y'all got stuff. and I, It may not be tiles, but it's something else. Some of y'all don't like the way they park the car. You want it parked backwards every time. So when you come out of the driveway, you can just pull right out. Turn that car back. Is it really going to cause that big of a deal? So, so overlook minor issues. I'm, I'm not talking about stuff that's just going to permit. Stuff that needs to be addressed, you address. Number two, when sinful actions and attitudes occur, confront. When sinful actions and attitudes occur, confront. The, the, the term confront is not a negative term. What I'm saying is address the issue. Most Christians don't address issues, and so as a result, you let it hide beneath the surface, and you become bitter and angry because you, wouldn't, you didn't have the courage to address it when it happened, to talk about it. Confront means to talk about it. It don't mean be angry and you're going to tell them like it is. No, you just go and you deal with the issue, especially if it's a, if it's a, if it's a moral issue, if it's a biblical issue, right or wrong, you got, you got to talk about that. Hello? All right, watch this. Watch, go, go to Proverbs 27 with me right quick. Come on, y'all. Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6. Let's read it right quick. It says, an open rebuke is better than hidden love, than secret love, in case you say it. Verse number 6 says what? Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Y'all have heard us say this over and over again. So it's real important that in relationships, you know, we have relational issues on all different levels, whether it's our covenant marriage relationship, whether it's a church member to church member relationship, whether it's a co-worker to co-worker relationship, parent-child relationship. We have these relational issues that have to be talked about. But, but, but when sinful actions and attitudes occur, you got to confront that stuff. you got to talk about it. And don't let it just pass by. Come on. Most of us are, 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 are in, in, a, in a pickle or in a, in a state of, of, of confusion and frustration because we don't know how to confront stuff. We don't know how to talk about stuff when it occurs. And we just let it slide and let it build up and bubble beneath the surface. And as a result, we end up sometimes being in a situation where we can't truly repent and forgive because we haven't addressed the issue. Third thing we... we uh, we need to be mindful of is communicate how much you care about the other person before you start to confront. That person needs to know that you really care about them. You need to share with them. Use the sandwich message. Man, you know what? Brother, we, we've been together for, for 15 years. and you, you know, I love you like my brother. And, um, and, uh, and so you've been helpful to me in ministry. You've been, a, you've been a friend to me. But there's something I need to talk to you about. And then you talk to them about what you're talking about. And then you close it with, the, 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 you know, hey, we still, we still brothers. 
This don't mean that, that, that I don't like you, but I, we, we have to talk about this issue. Because if we don't talk about it, it's going to be bubbling beneath the surface. You're going to be talking about when you leave me, when you get home or get with somebody else. You know how people do. They won't talk to you about the issue. They'll talk to everybody else about the issue that they really need to be talking to you about. And then now that's where confusion comes into play. That's what happens in the church. You won't talk about the real issue with the person who need, you need to talk about the issue with. Okay, everybody with me? Number three, watch, number four, uh, gently seek to facilitate repentance and restoration. Galatians 6 says, brother, if a man be overtaken in the fault, you with your spiritual go and restore that person in the spirit of meekness, considering your own self, lest you fall. So, so I, when a person falls or when there's a wrong or there's an issue that needs to be addressed, then I need to go to that person and then we, we, I need to help restore him. So, but when I do it, I need to restore gently. Gently seek to facilitate repentance and restoration when we're addressing an issue, a person, a situation. Uh, number five, choose an appropriate time and place. You know, you know Thanksgiving dinner ain't the time to bring it out over the table when all the family members are there. You've been holding that thing for a whole year and you want to bring it out over Thanksgiving dinner? That's not the time and the place. And husband and wife, in front of your children is never the time or place for you to start arguing and acting a fool like you don't know Jesus. You don't realize that's why some of your kids are messed up today. Dealing with stuff at 40, 50 years old because they saw y'all fussing and fighting. You're killing them. You're messing them up. You're disrupting uh, their, their, their flow and their way of thinking because you, who are the adult in the room, didn't take your disagreement to the back and talk it through like a Christian should do. It got quiet. You know why it got quiet? Because some of y'all are fussing, cussing, fighting, doing everything else in front of your children, and you think that it's just going to blow over. I'm here to tell you, that stuff lasts into adulthood, and it causes uh, all kinds of dysfunctionality in the life of your children when they become adults. Hello? And it's your fault. Because you didn't have enough spiritual wherewithal to handle it the way God said handle it. You told him to go to the room, but you were cussing and fussing and fighting in the other room and, and about to tear the room up. Christians, hear me carefully. Christians should never, never be engaged in domestic violence. I'm going to say that again. Christians should never be engaged in domestic violence. That's for somebody. Either way, wife shouldn't be hitting on husband, husband shouldn't be hitting on wife but particularly husbands hitting on wives. Shouldn't occur. Hello? Hello? Shouldn't occur. Sinful. 
needs to be confronted. Choose an appropriate time and place. Number six, raise issues, not voices. Everybody say raise issues, not voices. Talking about confronting issues so we can properly repent and get the situation right. Amen. Stick with the issues as unemotionally as possible. And I know we're an emotional being. And sometimes we have to cool down before we can talk about something. And it's okay to say, listen, baby, I want to deal with this, but right now I can't deal with it because if I say something now, it's going to come out the wrong way. Just give me a little time. Let me pray through it. Let me get my mind right. And I promise you we'll discuss it and we'll talk about it. No, we're going to talk about it right now. Why ain't you something, you little self? What's your little self? Can't you respect that? That someone is trying to be biblical with you? I want to talk about it right now. That's your little selfish self. You go into your prayer closet and both of y'all pray before you come and discuss the issue. But you got to get emotionally, you know, calm down. Okay? And don't bring in all this old baggage from five years ago. Deal with the issue. Deal with the issue at hand. And, and so that way you can find strength to attack the problem and not each other. The problem that we have a lot of times is we start attacking the other person rather than t- attacking the issue. Uh, number seven, give specific examples of the wrong that's being addressed. Don't just be general and talk, well, you know, you always. Oh, uh, you never. No, what are you specifically dealing with? Let's talk about that. Amen? Uh, strive to give the benefit of the doubt. Your goal is not to win. It's to resolve the conflict. It's to resolve the conflict. Amen? Above all, pray. Everybody say, above all, pray. Say, above all, pray. See, the, the, the folks in, in Ezekiel's day were in a position where they had disregarded God's plan. They, they had disregarded God's word, and they were, they were in a position where they were, not, they were not doing self-examination. God wants us to repent. And turn back to him. Now go to the second point of the outline. Okay. So there's a difference between true repentance amen, and, and, and false repentance. True repentance will result in a change of direction, a change of action. Can I get a witness? All right. Number two, everyone is personally responsible for his or her own sins. Go to Ezekiel 18. In other words, I can't put my sin on you. And you can't put your sin on me. Are y'all with me? In other words, I can't, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't get to the point to where I think that God is not going to judge me based on what I did, but He's going to give me a pass because you did something that quote made me sin. No, you didn't make me sin. I sinned because sin was in my heart. Watch this. Ezekiel eighteen and twenty says, "Well, the person who sins is the one who will die. The child will not be punished for the parent's sins, and the parent will not be punished for the child's sins." Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. Are y'all listening to me there? Go to Romans 14 and 12 with them right quick. Romans 14 and 12. So everyone is personally responsible for his or her own sins. In other words, if, if I do something wrong, I can't blame Maria for the wrong that I did. Okay? And she can't blame me. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I would still be coming to church if, it, if everybody in the church was right. Well, baby, let me tell you, you ain't going to ever come to church if you wait on everybody in the church to be right. 
That's why we're here up in here. Because none of us are so right that we're perfect and we're not going to mess up. Oh, y'all listen to me. Have y'all heard me say, well, I'm not going to church because there's too many hypocrites there. Well, baby, you still go to work. And you got hypocrites there. See, in the church, we're trying to get right. We're not get right. We're trying to evolve. We're trying to become what God has ordained for us to be. Can I get a witness? We're trying to become. Christianity is not about doing. It's about becoming. Becoming uh, uh, like Jesus. Walking in the express image of God's dear son. Romans 14, 12 says, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. This means that I can't blame anyone but myself when I stand before God to give an account for my life. I can't blame my parents. I can't blame the devil. I can't blame my wife. I can't blame y'all. I can't be talking about, well, you know, God, I would have did it, but the people in the church wasn't right, so I just, I just didn't tell them. They weren't going to do it anyhow, so I just didn't. No, God said, I call you to preach the word. That's why, guys, I love all of y'all, but I, 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 don't, I don't love you so much that, that I'm not going to tell you the truth. Because ultimately, I got to answer to God for what I shared with you, you guys. So if you get offended with me, that's okay. Just You'll get over it. Just love me anyhow. I love you. And there's going to be some time when I'm going to say something, if, if, if it hits you right between the heart, and, and, and you get a little offense, but you get a little offended, but you go ahead and search it. You say, I didn't like what he said, but he was right. And you know what? I, I'm going to stop doing it. Uh, I'm start cussing at my husband like that because pastor said it and I saw it in the word of God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop doing this because I see what the word of God says. If, that, if, 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 you, if you get offended, but you change, more power to you. Because as your pastor, I told you before, 20% of the time, or even maybe 50% of the time, you, you need to be on edge with me a little bit. Because I'm going to be sharing some things that, that you know hits you, and you're going to think I know it, but I don't know it, but the Holy Spirit told me, but you're going to think I know it, or you're going to think your spouse told me, and so now all of a sudden you're going to be offended with me. But if you, you get offended and you see that I'm right and you change, more power to you. Stay offended for that little while. Amen? All right. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Y'all know I love y'all, don't you? And y'all know that when you get mad at me or you get upset because I said something and then you, you and your wife go home and argue about it. But if y'all, if y'all will look in the book, because I promise you, I'm not going to tell you something that's not in the book. Amen? Uh, I'm not going to tell you something that, that goes against God's principle and his word. So when you look in the book and find it and you say, that's what pastor was talking about. I got to change that. That's what I'm after. I don't want you to come listen to me and say, oh, that was a good sermon. And you go and keep doing the same thing. As your pastor, I, I, I want to see the word of God take root, okay? Number three, Satan is a powerful fallen angel who seeks to take us out. He's trying to take all of us out. Go to Ezekiel 28 with me right quick. Satan is, I was talking to a brother the other day. He says, you know, in, in our particular church, we don't talk much about Satan or the devil. He says, as a matter of fact, they don't preach about him very much at all. Well, guys, and when we were talking about, we we both said that the devil is a real being. He was a fallen angel who's who's, who's here on the earth to try to wreak havoc and to steal God's glory and to make life tough for us. But we, as a body of believers, have the opportunity to to recognize that he is real and that we, we got spiritual weapons to help us attack 
Watch this. Then this further message came to me from the Lord. Verse number 12. Son of man, sing this funeral song for the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. You were the model of perf perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. Verse number 13. You were in Eden, the garden of Eden. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red, chameleon, pale green peridot, white moonstone, blue, blue green barrel, onyx green jasper, and blue lapis lazuli, uh, turquoise, and emerald, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. Now watch this. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. 15, you were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. He's describing Satan's beauty before the fall. Watch this, watch this. Next verse. Uh, your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, almighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Next verse says what? Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. You got to watch out when you think you look good. Amen. Uh, your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. 18, that's the last one. You defiled your sanctuaries with your many sins and your dishonest trade. So I brought fire out from within you and it consumed you. I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. Satan was kicked out of heaven because he got prideful because of his beauty and he wanted the glory that belonged only to God. So we're fighting against a real enemy who, who has demonic spirits who are on assignment to disrupt your life. But God loves you and he gives you the power to overcome every tactic and, and strategy of the enemy. Last point we're going to go over. God in his great patience pleads for the wicked to repent. He doesn't want them to perish. Ezekiel 33 11, last verse. God in his in, 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 in his in his infinite love and wisdom for us, in his great patience, he pleads with the wicked to repent. He doesn't want anybody to perish. God don't want anybody to go to hell. Look at verse 11. As sure as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. We're trying to say it's time to live again. There are some folks who've never really lived because they've been dead spiritually. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn. Turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? So God desires for each one of us to turn so that we can live. That was his desire for the people in the book of Ezekiel. So four things real quickly. Go over our four points and we finish. We got to take responsibility. Number one, we said what? We don't have as long as we think to repent. We don't. I don't, I don't no matter what you're in, God has given you a chance to repent of that thing and get out of it. Because judgment is going to come if you stay in it. He's, judgment is coming if you keep doing it. Number two, what? Everyone is personally responsible for his or her own sins. You can't blame your husband. You can't blame your wife. You can't blame your parents. You, we all are responsible. Number three, we said what? Satan is a powerful fallen angel who seeks to take us out. And lastly, what? God, in his great patience, pleads for the wicked to repent. He doesn't want them to perish. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed.